What? This isn't the comedy cellar. It looks more like a wine cellar. Sounds like it too. Can somebody let me out? Or is this the genius stand-up comedian jail? Yowza! Hello? Calico backed away in horror from the demented upholsterer. His rubber apron dripping with that most crimson of liquids, that being blood. But I made this for you, the upholsterer said. The perfect living room. All for you. Calico stumbled into her couch and felt something below the cheap imitation leather. She tore at the surface with her fingernails, revealing Brian, her once-loving husband, now dead, eyes and mouth stitched shut, forever part of the sectional. Brian, she shrieked, Brian, no! If you like that, the upholsterer hissed, then you'll love what I've done with the armchairs. Calico spun to look at the armchairs, where tiny faces pressed in vain against the upholstery. No, Aiden, Caden, my two boys, she shrieked with delicious terror. What were once boys are now furniture, the upholsterer sneered, the circle of life. But I have one more circle to draw. His shadow fell over Calico, and, at that moment, she knew that the promise she made her own mother all those years ago would soon be broken. She can still hear her mother in her mind's ears telling her, Please, never become a footstool or ottoman. Do anything you want, but never that. I'm sorry, Mama, Calico said as the upholsterer's oversized needle of death swung down toward her supple head like an executioner's axe. The end. What did you think of my evil story? It's called Interior Depth Design. Wow, uh, hang on. Oh, okay. It sounds like spending a night at Gwyneth Paltrow's house. Waka waka! Uh, I'm sorry, was she caught upholstering live human beings into her furniture? Not yet, but with her lifestyle brand, who knows what she's up to? Hiya! Hmm, tell me, where's that laughter coming from? This little speaker here plays canned laughter. I use it to get people a little loosey-goosey, you know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. Uh, can I see it? Sure. Yeah! Hey! I hope now you understand the seriousness of your situation. I don't know about me, but my speaker sure does. It's not the same. Well, take heart, for I sense an imminent career change for you. For you are in the presence of Lord Serpent. And that's me. And I'm the best horror writer you've never heard of. I've brought you here to read one of my evil stories out loud. And if you do a good job reading it, then I will release you from my inescapable dungeon. And if you do a bad job, then I'll feed you to my army of slavering ghouls. Do you accept these terms? Yeah, I guess. Excellent. Let me pull up my evil chair. This is a heartfelt story about love, betrayal, and the danger of commonplace playground equipment. Oh, and orphans. Lots and lots of orphans. The Texas Seesaw Massacre The red brick orphanage rose five stories from the rust-colored Texas dirt. Back in its heyday, people might have described the building as magnificent. Not so much anymore. 
The brick was cracked and dusty. The gray stone of the building's portico was stained black with filth. Rotten air conditioning units hung out some of the windows, wires and filters dripping down from the metal bodies of the devices like intestines and fat. Many of the windows were glassless. Some were just brick holes. The doors were boarded up and, as if the state of the place and the plywood wasn't a clear enough message, someone had spray-painted stay out on the boards. Hannah sat on the brick and stone steps and lit a cigarette. She took a puff and almost <laughs> coughed her lungs out. The cherry from the burning cancer stick was incongruous with her youthful, 18-year-old face, unblemished by nicotine. She wasn't used to the acrid smoke yet. She'd only been a smoker since summer camp ended. A crack. Buzzing. A scream. Hannah took a big puff to chase away the demons, but they swarmed around her head like angry bees. Would she ever be rid of this living nightmare? Maybe if she got a few drinks. She brushed her blue hair out of her eyes and checked her watch. 23-22. She hadn't seen her friends all summer, and now they were late. Figures. Welcome back to Shadowbrook. A car backfired down the long dirt road in front of her, and she looked up to see a rusty LeSabre pulling up to the orphanage. Must be nice to have a car, she thought, glancing over at her bike, tossed in the dirt like yesterday's newspaper. The car squealed to an ignominious stop. The front passenger door opened immediately, and a small girl named Cass ran out and grabbed Hannah in a back-breaking hug. Hannah! she shrieked. Oh my god, we didn't hear from you all summer. How have you been? Hannah pushed Cass away to get some air into her lungs. Fine, thanks. This should make you feel better, Cass said holding up a bag full of mini liquor bottles, the kind you get on airplanes or in hotel mini bars. Hannah grinned. She grabbed some bottles from the pack, twisted one open, and shot it back. Three more people got out of the back seat, Fern, San, and Lewis. Hannah noticed the car then. It had been a whole summer, but she'd know that car anywhere. Skis. Heidi ho, Hannah, Skis said, stumbling out of the car, a big grin plastered on his face stretching his mustache and soul patch to their limit. You busy this weekend? Not even 60 seconds and you're already hitting on me? Hannah groaned. My masculinity mentor on YouTube says persistence is key. Plus, my mom is the one who scores us these sick minis from her airline job. You owe me. You all owe me. Fuck off, skis, the rest of the teens said. Skis was the kind of guy who only had friends because they wanted his booze, his drugs, or his car. Hannah drained another mini bottle. Skis watched her lecherously. So why'd we come here, Cass asked, as the rest of the teens looked over the former orphanage's frightening facade. Our thing was always drinking in the playground. Hannah shuddered at the word playground. Just thought a change would be nice, she mustered. And I figured an abandoned, haunted orphanage would be safe from the cops. The haunted orphanage was the campfire story every kid in Shadowbrook had grown up with. The orphanage was built in 1916, two years before the Spanish flu turned it into the country's quarantine center. After the war, it became an orphanage, as it remained for eight decades, until they built the new George W. Bush home for wayward tots closer to Dallas, and this place fell by the wayside. It was said to be haunted by ghosts of orphans past, but Hannah wasn't afraid of ghosts. She opened the front door and walked into a large atrium that rose up two stories. It would have been indistinguishable from a mausoleum if it wasn't for the gently curving twin staircase made out of polished oak, now dusty and twisted, and the dirgeful chandelier that hung above the center of the room. 
The lighting fixture listed slightly to one side like a torpedoed cargo ship. And in the middle of the room was a seesaw. Her friends gathered around the seesaw, excited to see it, but Hannah's chest tightened. Things buzzed around her ears. She tried to swat them away, but the memories dragged her back. A board creaked. Shoes brushed against gravel. Someone laughed. Something snapped. Someone screamed, mewling like a dying kitten. The most crimson of liquid, that being blood, spewing from a teenage girl's fragile body. No! She screamed. Stop! Get away from it! She rushed over, grabbed Cass by her shoulders, and hurled her away from the playground toy. Cass hit the floor hard and slid like a curling stone. What's your biz, Hand? She shouted, getting to her feet and trying unsuccessfully to brush off a fresh bruise. Seesaws are dangerous, is all Hannah can say. Isn't it weird, Skis asked, a seesaw inside? The beloved seesaw is a staple of playgrounds, not foyers. Maybe they moved the playground inside when they were under quarantine, Fern suggested. Maybe there are more in other rooms, Cass said. Let's go see. Wait, Hannah yelled. But Sam and Cass ran out of the atrium before Hannah could stop them. What do you say we take this seesaw for a spin, Fern asked Lewis. Hannah watched them mount the seesaw with creeping dread. No, she screamed, running to tear them off the quintessential playground device. Skis grabbed her by the back of the shirt before she could get too far. Chill out, here, he handed her a bottle of rum. You're lucky my mom works for JetBlue and gets these instead of raises. I don't want your tiny liquor. I want them to get the F off the seesaw and to get the F out of here. Skis was about to argue when a giggle echoed throughout the cavernous space and stopped him in his tracks. The sound was childlike, a tittering little churl a taunt might make after a jolly jape from their comrades in age. Skis looked at Lewis and Fern, who bounced up and down in an alternating pattern manifested through the power of physics and simple machines. Eyes alight with the simple joy of a seesaw, the pair of revelers didn't even hear the strange giggle. Hannah spotted something terrible lurking by the banisters on the second floor. She couldn't describe what she was seeing. She couldn't speak. Skis followed her haunted gaze and finally saw the man. He must have been 40, judging by the unwashed body hair that caked his exposed shins and the greasy ring of hair that framed a glistening bald spot. He was impossibly thin, which explained how he was still able to fit into the child-sized pajamas he wore, though fit was a generous term. The clothing was stretched so badly over his too large frame that it had to be held together with clothespins and duct tape. He grinned at them, the smile landing somewhere between playful and violent, and lingering in the fallow field between friendly and unhinged. Get off, Hannah whispered to her friends. Get off the seesaw. Can't get off, the man said with a drunken Texas drawl. Can't get off till playtime's over. In a panic upon hearing the deranged voice, Lewis ripped his hands free as his side of the seesaw sunk to the floor. It was the biggest mistake of his short life. The seesaw made contact with a hidden pressure plate as soon as the board touched the ground, opening up a trapdoor right beneath him. He tumbled into the trapdoor and fell from sight. His screams faded into nothingness. Fern's end slammed gracelessly to the ground. The man-child clapped his hands together gleefully. Can't let go, he said. He looked at Fern and pouted. 
Oh, she ain't got no one to play with. Hannah gasped as he leapt off the balcony, certain that the man would break his legs in the fall. But as he tumbled, he tore away a sheet from the banister, revealing a colorful slide that carried him safely to the ground. He rushed toward the seesaw with a hunched back, loping run, like a goblin, and stopped at the freshly vacated seat. The trap door, Hannah noticed, was closed. I'll play with you, the man said, grinning wide. The teens got a good look at his crooked, rotting teeth. Who, who are you? Fern whispered. Just one of the orphans, the man said. He slammed his butt downward onto the seat, catapulting Fern into the air with enough horrific velocity that she soared up toward the 20-foot-plus ceiling, up toward the listing chandelier. She struck the chandelier like a rotten tomato, impacting a landmine. The light fixture's arms, as if razor-sharp, tore her supple flesh to ribbons, optosecting her body into eight uneven pieces. Intestines sprung free like snakes from a prank can of mixed nuts, and organs plopped down to the stone floor like gory candy from a sinister piñata. Blood rained everywhere. The man turned his head ever so slowly to skis and Hannah. His smile pasted horribly across his ugly lips, eyes wide and mad. Playtime, he said almost drunkenly, is over. Hannah and Skis were running before the sinister figure could extricate himself from the seesaw. Their screams trailed behind them like ribbons as they careened headlong into the unknown hallways of the cursed orphanage. They only slowed when they ran out of breath. The pair leaned against the wall, heaving and retching as the gory horror of what they'd witnessed finally set in. Who the hell was that guy? Hannah asked. Why was he wearing children's pajamas? Skis asked back. And why is there a seesaw and a friggin' booby trap inside? Hannah winced at the word seesaw. She tried to mask her reaction, but she wasn't quick enough. Seesaw, Skis said. She winced again. What happened to you? You used to be the queen of hanging out at playgrounds at night. Stop, Hannah whisper shouted. I can't talk about it. Can't, Skis asked, or won't. It doesn't matter, Hannah said. I read an article that said cities and schools are getting rid of seesaws. Soon, I'll never have to see one again. A grunt caught their attention from farther down the hall, and the teens turned toward it. Cass? Hannah asked as quietly as she dared. Sam? Silence greeted her. Come on, Skis told her. We gotta go look. We don't gotta do shit, Hannah said. I gotta get out of here. Our friends just died, Skis. And we could be next. Skis started to walk away. Hannah looked at the darkness around her and imagined that deranged man suddenly appearing in a narrow beam of moonlight, snatching her up and forcing her to seesaw with him. It was too much to bear. She followed Skis. Another cough guided them until they finally found themselves in front of a cracked door with a dusty pane of glass in it. The duo peered inside, where beds were arranged in a dormitory pattern across a filthy floor. Hannah gasped. People in the beds began to stir. Fully grown bodies, far too large for the tiny twin mattresses they slept on. A man rolled over, his long salt and pepper beard catching moonlight. Hannah thought she could make out wrinkles around his eyes. How long ago did they close this orphanage? Hannah asked. Thirty years, he said, his voice warbling with no small amount of terrified awe. 
They moved the orphanage, Hannah said. But they didn't move the orphans. The telltale sounds of a playground lured Skis and Hannah up to the second floor. At the end of the hallway stood two double doors, barely hanging upright on their loose, rotten hinges. The squeaks and giggles grew louder as they approached. They were clearly coming from inside. Skis walked up to the door and put his ear to the wood. He listened but shook his head, unable to tell if the people having fun on a seesaw inside were their lost friends or criminally insane adult orphans. Who had abandoned a bunch of orphans like that, Hannah wondered, unable to shake the image of the adult orphans from her head. Hannah took a breath. The screams came back again, echoing inside her head. Tara was there, silhouetted on a rising beam of a seesaw. A giant beehive crunched over her head. Bees swarmed over her supple flesh. Stingers piercing her epidermis with the intensity of Texas oil men drilling for crude. Honey began to leak down her neck honey, and blood. A hand on her shoulder snapped her out of the memory. She wasn't on a summer camp playground. She was in a haunted orphanage. She wasn't with Tara. She was with Skis, who was touching her. Gross. Hannah shook herself off and marched toward the doors. An ancient sign read, Cafeteria. But as she pushed the doors open, she realized it wasn't a cafeteria. Not anymore. It was an indoor playground with only one attraction. Seesaws. There were dozens of them, maybe even a hundred or more, arranged haphazardly around the room. Wooden, metal, plastic, all types were here. Cass and Sam were playing on the largest one, a 20-foot-long monster. They waved at Hannah and Skis. Grab a seesaw and get to partying, Cass said. She cracked open a tiny vodka, threw the thing back in one motion, and whooped with joy. Sam, who'd clearly been drinking before he got here, was barely holding on. You gotta get off, Skis shouted. These seesaws are booby-trapped. No, don't get off, Hannah screamed, punching Skis, the idiot. That's how they... In his fear and intoxication, Sam didn't think. He released the seesaw's handle as he neared the top of the seesaw's motion. Now he was only hanging on to the board in front of him. There was a metallic whir, and the handle began to spin. Something played a jolly little song, the sort you'd hear in a wind-up music box. Sam watched the handle dumbly. One more rotation and the handle stopped. Sam reached out to touch it. The handle folded back in on itself, forming a sort of arrow, then fired with a pneumatic hiss right into Sam's drunken heart. The weapon tore a massive hole into Sam's back, where his heart skewered on an arrow that once was a seesaw handle, burst free from the meager confines of his ribcage, like a prisoner escaping prison, and bled messily all over the floor. Sam turned to Hannah and Skis and tried to speak, but only blood came out. Then he fell off the seesaw, completely and utterly dead. The teens screamed in terror. Cass's end of the seesaw slowly lowered to the ground. Hannah saw an expression cross her friend's face, a brief moment of panic. Don't let go, a voice drawled from behind them. We'll find you someone to play with. Hannah spun around and screamed. The demented man from earlier, the one who catapulted Fern into the chandelier, stood at the open cafeteria door. 
He had a red soda fountain glass filled to the brim with peach schnapps, the hard stuff. He wasn't alone. A rugged coterie of adult orphans fanned out behind them. Filthy pajamas and other childhood clothes stretched across their much larger frames. They were disgusting, covered in dirt and fouler substances like no one had ever shown them how to clean. They eyed Hannah, Skies, and Cass, their heads cocked at curious angles, as if trying to size up if these teens before them were playmates or prey. As the adult orphans crept closer, Hannah noticed a name scrawled on the chest of the first man's pajamas. Jeffy. Jeffy took a long slurp of his peach schnapps, draining the entire glass, and then hurled it into a pile of equally drained glasses, none of which had ever been cleaned. There's always someone to play with at Shadow Brook, he said, stalking over to the large seesaw. You just gotta ask. You, Hannah said as the man settled on the other end of Cass's seesaw. You're the orphans, the ones who used to live here. What happened to you? Jeffy turned to look at her. Black fires of righteous fury blazed in his subtle eyes. They left us behind! He screamed, his voice rising to an inhuman shriek. He jumped up in the air and butt-blasted his end of the seesaw, sending Cass's end rocketing toward the ceiling. She held on for dear life. The other adult orphans began to hum in a low, ghostly tone. Metal groaned above them. Hannah and her friends looked toward the ceiling where lights flickered on, revealing industrial grinders, the sort they used to mulch up cows, slowly spinning to life, their rusted blades hungry for human flesh. Jeffy grinned and pushed his end up from the ground. Cass hung on through bitter, desperate tears as the seesaw went up and down, up and down. Hannah glanced at Jeffy's forearms, bulbous and mighty from years of seesawing, at his powerful legs, pistons of meat and blood forged in the crucible of the playground. There was no hope for Cass. The humming was louder than ever, a ringing note signaling only doom. The seesaw's oscillations grew more violent. Cass was ripped around like an inexperienced Texas cowhand riding the meanest old bull the rodeo had ever seen. Please stop! Hannah screamed. Please! No! There was a crack as Cass's forearms broke from the G-forces. Her hands flopped around like they were attached to wet noodles instead of flesh and bone. Cass managed to hold on with her legs for a moment before she was launched from the seesaw. Hannah screamed. Not another friend lost to a seesaw. But so it was. The blades took her, turning Hannah's former best friend into something resembling meat lover's extra chunky marinara sauce, now with more hair and bone. Jeffy chuckled as the horrific crimson rain washed over him. Hannah looked around. They were surrounded by insatiable, murderous orphans, forever locked in childhood. Hannah remembered being a child like it wasn't so long ago. She knew how to appeal to the emotions of children. She spoke, trying desperately to stop her voice from shaking. It's horrible, Hannah said. Everyone just abandoned you. Just like the seesaws, Jeffy said, hanging his head sadly. The humming grew in intensity. He gestured around the room. All these seesaws are from Texas. They tossed him aside like yesterday's trash, 
And I thank the orphan god every day that we was there to rescue him. All praise to the orphan god, the adult orphans murmured. Praise her, oh praise her. An orphan god? Things were worse than she thought. Hannah needed a plan and she needed it yesterday. But she couldn't think of a plan with all these seesaws around her and all the bees buzzing inside her skull. So she ran. Skis followed, but the seesaws were horrible obstacles and Hannah and Skis tripped and stumbled and fell over them. Soon they were stopped by Jeffy. Can't let you go, Jeffy said. It ain't the way. The, the way, way of the orphan. orphan, the adult orphan said in unison. You come here, you play on the seesaw. Let the orphan god judge you as worthy or unworthy, Jeffy said. You're either dead or you're one of us. Ain't no other way. The rules are simple. You play, you hold on. You let go or fall off, he glanced at the two ripped up corpses. You die. Hannah tried to run again, but two large humming adult orphans grabbed her, heedless of her kicks and scratches, and dragged her over to a big yellow seesaw. Jeffy already had skis sitting on the other end. There, there, Jeffy said. Winner takes all. I can't, Hannah screamed. I can't get on a seesaw again. My summer camp girlfriend died in a beesaw accident. I'm traumatized. She broke down crying. I mean seesaw and bee, she corrected. The adult orphans murmured. She was broken, just like them. Skeez's eyes were wide. That's what happened, he said to her. That's why you've been so weird. I'm sorry, Han. I didn't know. None of us did. Hannah looked at Skeez, who everyone only hung out with because he had a car, and was moved by his oddly sincere emotions. Uh, thanks, Skeez, she said. If you would have just gone out with me instead, Skeez said, you wouldn't be feeling this way, and we would have been at the playground instead of this haunted orphan hellmouth. Hannah's shock at Skeez's decency turned into rage at his heartless words. She glowered at him through her tears. She jumped up and landed on the seat, causing Skeez's side of the seesaw to suddenly rise. Whoa, hey, Skeez shouted, grabbing on for dear life. Hannah did it again. Skeez's rear left the seat for a moment, and he had to scramble to hold on. Hannah, stop! Stop! Please! He reached out to her, only one hand on the handle now. One last time, she jumped. Skeez was launched off the seesaw. He didn't go as high as Cass did, so instead of being mulched into oblivion, he just slid across the floor, crashing into a folding table. He sat up and patted himself down. I'm alive? I'm alive! I'm... The orphans surrounded him and began to stomp, kick, scratch, bite, and pull, their humming reaching a fever pitch, drowning out the sounds of rending flesh, crushing bone, and horrible, horrible screams. Jeffy dropped Skeez's car keys into Hannah's hands. They stood at the orphanage's entrance, the pair of them still soaked in blood. These is yours now, Jeffy said. Thanks. Hannah told him. A tear ran down her cheek. Hey, Jeffy said, taking her by the shoulders. Some people get stung to death by bees. Some get a new set of keys. He looked down into her eyes and smiled. Life's a seesaw, Hannah. You go up, you come back down. But don't forget, seesaws go down, but they stop when you hit the ground. 
Can't go no lower than that. Then what do they do? Hannah held back her tears, put on a brave face, and looked at Jeffy. They go back up? That's right, he said. They go back up. He stood up to his full height and sniffled. Best get going, he said. Don't want your mama or daddy worrying where you are. And if you ever need to talk or need a shoulder to cry on, us orphans will be here. Hannah turned to go, but paused, then turned back to Jeffy and wrapped him in a big hug. Jeffy's shock lasted for only a moment before he hugged her right back. Thanks, Jeffy, she said. You adult orphans get me more than my friends ever did. It ain't their fault, Jeffy said. What did they ever know about loss? Hannah smiled and nodded. What indeed? Then she was in Skeezes' car, driving away, watching through the rearview mirror as the adult orphanage and all its seesaws vanished over the horizon. Well, what did you think of my evil story? Wow, just holy manoli. The, this was the greatest thing I've ever read. Liked it, did you? This freaking changed my life. Comedy, who needs it? I want to be scary now. What did you think of the themes of orphans and how they... Hang on. I got my first idea. It's a story about a detective investigating a crime. Only it's a tree that did it. I'm glad I got your creative juices. Wait, hang on. And then another one about an evil friggin' kidney. Stop! Those are two of my greatest stories. Where are you getting these ideas from? I don't know. They're just kind of the first ideas I came up with. Mm, well, here's a pitch for you. A story about a woman who gets dragged away and devoured by ghouls. Yeah, that's great. Maybe she's a bad comedian or something and... Oh no, you meant... Ah! Wait, no, please. I got so much terror to give. So many hearts to scare. And what's the deal with airline food? Oh no, that's comedy, not horror. Ow, ow! I mean, airline food that's sentient and takes over people's brains. Woo! No, no, no! Woo! Well, I'm glad that's over. You know what they say. Ghouls just want to have fun! <laughs> oh, yes. I didn't actually break it. Now the power of laughter belongs to Lord Serpent! This episode was performed by Katie Harbin and Lord Serpent. The episode was edited by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. The Texas Seesaw Massacre was written by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. It was produced by Stacey Milbourne, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Michael Morgan and Lord Serpent were the audio engineers. The music was composed by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. Tune in next week for even more of my horrific tales of madness and terror. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Lord Serpent's Library and check out my homepage at rss.com slash podcasts slash Lord Serpent's Library. <laughs>